me and my guys got to go to New York. I went into it really wanting to do service-based ministry. I find a lot of rest and service and I went into it really looking for that to kind of escape life in general and just help people out and serve people. And when I got there, I kind of realized that that's not what this trip was about. It was more about first contact evangelism and getting to spread the gospel. And I wasn't really ready for it, but I'm so grateful for it because it was just something I really needed. And not only did I need it, but it was just a wake up call to see a new culture and kind of realize that there's no church that God's planted that's dead. I don't think there's another trip where you're truly just gonna get to a place and feel like a foreigner. But I also think that's the beauty of it because Jesus was a foreigner too and he was talking to all sorts of people who were so different than him and surrounding himself with people who didn't know the love of God and getting to go on New York. You're surrounded by those people every second of every day, but you're also reminded just that much more of how powerful God is and like how much he can move even in places where it seems like no one knows who he is. Going to Costa Rica, there's nothing to be afraid of. You've got people watching over you, you've got God watching over you, and you know that real people will have like an impact from what you do to them. Because those people, they don't have the access to the gospel. You know, they're isolated in the jungle, they're isolated in the cities, and so whenever you go out to Costa Rica, you're giving them the gospel of eternal life. And so I think that is really something that you should set your heart on whenever you go to Costa Rica, because you're making a real change for a big God. At the Vigilia, we were all worshiping, and it was a worship song we all knew, but it was in Spanish. And so my group was singing that same song in English while they were singing it in Spanish. And it was just really cool to see that even though we don't speak the same language, like we're worshiping the same God and we have the same values and beliefs. And it was just so awesome because it felt like how heaven will feel one day with like all the tribes and tongues and nations just worshiping God. And it was a cool experience because it kind of, it was uplifting because I got to see like how, even though it's scary that we don't speak the same language as the people we're going to minister to, we get to still stand side by side with them and worship with them and talk to them as much as we can. And we're still joyful and like, they're still receptive to everything we're saying. And it was just a cool experience. We spent a lot of time in prayer over the trip, so I think just taking that mindset of here before I do this, let me pray over it. Then I'm filled with all these nerves, let me pray over it. And just kind of taking that mindset of I can have him with me in every single situation. And also just like seeing him in everything, because that was a big thing too, of just like looking out at like the view from the Women's Center and being like, okay, this is no coincidence. Like. God made that for us to see and for everyone around us to see. And then also just seeing like him in every single person. That was really emphasized on the trip too, of just seeing what God put in each person for this specific moment. I went on Icon and it's probably the best mission trip I've ever been on. And I wouldn't even call it a mission trip. I think it's just like a spiritual growth trip. You know, you do get to do a lot of service, but a lot of it is like actually growing with God. You know, you're building up your faith and it's something so huge. It's a necessity, honestly. And it's something I wish I did a long time ago, but I'm so glad I got to do it. And I would recommend this trip to anyone who just needs it. I think mission trips are great through fellowship and it's easy to get that spiritual high, but coming back from that mission trip, it's really easy to just be like, mm, okay, next year I'll do that. And this trip really focused on building you up and making sure that you were coming back stronger than ever and staying strong. And something really great. All right, good morning, Fellowship. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Hey, I want to invite you guys to stand if you're able. We got a lot to celebrate this morning. We're going to celebrate through song, 
through baptism, through teaching of the word, and I'm really glad you're here. Good morning. My, 
My name is Alex, and I am one of seven cell group leaders for our ninth grade girls group. Um, <laughs> this is all of them coming on up. And I have known Avery for a few years now, and we have a pretty special relationship. Um, she is also one of our neighbors, so we live down the street from each other. And Avery and me and Caroline, who's in our cell group, um, have been meeting together, and um, this is just a really, a really sweet day. So Avery would say that she has always known the Lord, and he's always been a part of her life, and I feel like that is really evident because she's really joyful, she's loving, she's kind, and she's faithful. Um, and a few months ago, Avery was sitting in our kitchen, and I was like, hey, anything happening? Like, what happened this weekend? Any big news you want to tell me? Just trying to get them to talk. And she said, I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, well, actually, I decided I want to be baptized. <laughs> I'm like, wow, well, that is pretty big news. Tell me about it. And she just burst into tears, and she started weeping on our kitchen counter and said, the Lord and the way he changes hearts and getting to see that in the people in my life and the people closest to me is a really wonderful thing. And if that's who Jesus is, I want to follow him forever. And that has been just a memory I'm going to keep with me for the rest of my life. Um, and so as you celebrate today, Avery, I just want to remind you, following the Lord is not something you do alone. Um, we, we, all, we all need you and you need us. And as like, as you go through life, like invite people in and go out and ask for help. Um, God doesn't tell us that our life is gonna be easy or carefree. Um, it's actually gonna be pretty hard, but he does promise to always be here with us. You can go ahead and sit down. Avery, is it your testimony that you love Jesus he is your savior, and you want to follow him all the days of your life. Yes. Awesome. Well, then I baptize you, my sister. See your hand. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. Good job, Avery. I will. 
Hey, I want to read the scripture together. I want this to encourage us this morning. This is out of Psalms 36. Read this with me. It says, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgments are like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. You know, I was reading through that this week, and I was so encouraged by that. You know, we're in this Image of God series, and today we're talking about God's design for work. And I was reading through that passage, just thinking about my work week, and that last line really stood out to me. By means of your light, we see light. And it, it, it made me think, it really encouraged my heart to know that, God, in my darkest moments, especially during my work week, my darkest moments of wondering, what am I doing? What's my purpose? Questioning things. God, you give me light to see in the darkest of moments. And I thought, man, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that it doesn't matter what environment or where you're coming from this morning in this room. Um, you know, as a follower of Christ, he gives us that gift that he's on the move and he allows us to see it. Um, so these next two songs we're gonna sing together, I want them to be prayers. Can they just be an overflow of our hearts? Like Jesus, we need you. We're desperate for you. Yeah. 
name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jared, worship team, thank you so much for your work, your labor of love serving us this morning. I had one of the rare privileges this uh, winter um, of officiating the funeral of Bill Wendell. And uh, Bill, in his very later years uh, of his life, and most of the years when most people would be disengaged from work, Bill chose to go back to work, and he worked as a teacher's aide and also volunteered with the Bentonville High School Tiger basketball team, but he was at Bentonville High School. Now listen, if you know anything about the rank and file professionally of a large public high school, that would not be a position that would be high up on the, the, the ladder of, of, quote, status. And yet the way Bill did his work was contagious to such a point that the students began to call him Grandpa Bill. And uh, in fact, when we were planning his funeral, it was obvious that we needed to move it into the worship center here because that it would be large enough. Uh, the Benville High School administration decided to allow buses uh, to be available to students who would want to come to the service. And to staff who wanted to attend the service, they were allowed to take official school business. All because of the way he did his work. About a year before Bill died, the Benville High School or the Benville Public School System decided to just showcase a video of a contagious way that one of their staff members works. Take a look at the screen. Good morning. My name's Bill Wendell. Uh, Wendell spelled W-E-N-D-E-L. I'm 78 years old, and my title is paraprofessional at Bentonville High School. Lucky guy. Yep, I'm doing great. I started subbing here. One day I was uh, supposed to do something, and the gal who was doing the subs said, have you ever done uh, SSP? And I said, I don't know what SSP is. And she said, well, have you ever done special ed? And I said, no. And I was 70. I frankly started uh, working with these kids. I fell in love with them. The benefit you get back from them is pretty overwhelming to us as individuals and uh, so grateful for that opportunity to be able to be a part of their lives. When I got here five years ago, Bill's grandson was one of our players. He was a junior on our team. So I coached Logan for two years. And then, you know, it's, it's you start seeing around the hallway and you hear everybody calling him grandpa, not just Logan, but all the students calling him grandpa. And we just kind of struck up a friendship and, and I love having him around and, and our guys enjoy visiting with him and, and hugging him and handshakes and just, you know, being around him and, and uh, he's just a special guy. Good, Get up. You know, I know he went through some, some uh, some treatments, um, and on his last treatment, when he when he walked out of his treatment, we had all of our guys lined up in the hallway out there waiting for him to come out. And before he rang the bell, we were all out there to support him. Uh, 
your blessings all of us too. Okay? Thank you. Grandpa Bill, he's the uh, he's the spark of this team. He's the inspiration. I mean, you come in every day and no matter how he's feeling or what he's going through or whatever else he's going through, it's always positive. You never come in and see anything negative about him. He's the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. 78 years old, yep. currently in treatment for cancer, yep. and working full-time. Yes. How do you manage that? Listen, blessed, that's all. Just blessed by the Lord. He gives me the strength and the energy to uh, come here, and that's my prayer every day, is give me the strength and energy to be a positive influence to the people that I'm around, not just the kids, but the teachers and the people that I deal with, uh, so that I can be an effective, a person to them through the Lord. Tell me that's not a contagious vision and that there's something inside of you that says, I, I want to finish that way too. I'm even grateful for a local public school system who will share good news stories like that. It's so needed and so good. Hey, recently I read a famous essay written by Dorothy Sayers. It was written back in 1942. The title of the essay is simply, Why Work? Dorothy Sayers, if you know the name, she's a British author, playwright, apologist. She was a friend of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and a deep thinker. And the point of her essay was basically this. She said, society as a whole, but individuals in particular, are actually dying because they have lost what she calls this old and deep and theological and biblical vision of work. In fact, Sayers in her essay says it this way, man made in God's image or mankind made in God's image should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing. Don't you love that last phrase? She's talking about do a good thing well, and that that's the biblical vision of work, and it's revolutionary. You know, as a pastor, I've got to tell you that the passion of my work is to see the people in this body live the most God-centered, God-glorifying, full lives possible, that every ounce and a half that God would want to deposit in you, you get to enjoy of him and whatever assignment he has put you. I live for that. We all need that. And that means we need it mostly, or at least most commonly, at work. Because let's face it, we all work, all of us. Whether you work at home as a homemaker, whether you work out of the home as a breadwinner, whether you work in this in-between stage called a professional student, we all work. The paychecks may vary, but 100% of people get up and go to work in some capacity every day. And 99% of us get up and go to something other than what is called vocational Christian ministry. So the question I have is, how do we find a sense of passion and purpose in the daily grind of a daily job? When I was coming out of college and entering into that kind of more career-oriented workforce, there was a, a, professor, or a proverb that was thrown around a lot, particularly in the early to the mid-80s. 
And the proverb went something like this. No one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I had spent more time at the office. True or false? You sure? Because I don't know if I agree. You see, I think we hear that so much, we just assume it's true. It came about in the 80s and it was trying to counterbalance baby boomer workaholism that had tilted out of balance. But the problem is, it doesn't match the way human beings, both men and women, are hardwired. We have been hardwired for both relationship and for impact. In fact, psychologists tell us that two of the most compelling needs that human beings have is number one, a need for love, and number two, a need to work. Why? Where do we get that from? Well, we get that from God. In this little image of God series we've seen in Genesis chapter one and two, the mankind, men and women both, are made in the image of God. And God, as we saw in Genesis one and two, is both a lover and a worker. So no surprise he would make men and women who are both lovers and workers as well. In fact, the Bible opens with one glorious sentence, in the beginning God created, meaning in the beginning God worked, and he made some in his image. You can start to see the details of even how some of that work plays out in Genesis 2. We looked at this in week two of our series We saw in Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed, that's a work word, a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted, that's a work word, a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made, another work word, all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice verse nine. God chose to make two kinds of trees. One was just pleasing to the eye. Its whole reason for being was that it was beautiful. It had aesthetic value. God, as the artist, just wanted to do work that looked beautiful. But another kind of tree is good for food. It had an economic value. God, as the engineer, wanted to do work that produced something that would be life-sustaining. That tells me that both right-brained people and left-brained people are both made in the image of God. They reflect God, the engineer, God, the artist, and the way he does his work. So how is our work this kind of reflection of his image? Well, let's continue in the Genesis 2 story. You pick it up in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Two things, to work it. Secondly, to take care of it. Folks, we work because God works. He makes us in his image. He puts us in the garden and he says, I want you to do two things. Number one, work it. And number two, cultivate it or take care of it. And don't forget, this is Genesis chapter two. Let me say it this way. This is Genesis before sin entered the world. Let's say it another way. This is Genesis in perfect paradise telling us something. 
Paradise would not be paradise if there was no work. I know that's shocking. We think work just came along after the fall. But no, in paradise, God designed us to do a kind of work that would reflect him. Paradise includes work. My friend Tony, who he and I were in community group uh, together for a season, he's someone who's uh, in that next season of life ahead of me, and I've always admired the way Tony worked. Uh, He worked as a super varied career. He was a church planter, then he was a counselor and therapist, and then he became a, a vice president of human resources, and then he became an executive coach. And I remember one night at community group, he made the statement that it was liberating to him when he got rid of the idea that God created us to sit around naked and eat apples all day. And that the reason that was liberating was because it gave meaning to see that God created us to work in ways that reflect him. I do think it's liberating. Like Monday morning, liberating. So how do we do work that reflects him? Well, number one, when we work that way, when we see that whatever we do, we can do it and reflect who God is through our job, work becomes more fulfilling to us. And that's because work is beginning to fulfill God's purposes for us. Don't you see the order? When we begin to fulfill God's purposes for us, things become more fulfilling to us. That's true of both our work and our relationships. Let's continue uh, some of this story. You see it in verse 15. Notice that the verbs there, to work it, to take care of it. Those Hebrew words in verse 15 describe work as worship. In fact, uh, the word uh, work is abad. It's often translated serve or worship elsewhere in uh, in the Old Testament. The word take care of or cultivate in other translations. It's often translated, it's the word shamar, and in the Psalms you see it come up as obey or revering God. The point is this, abad and shamar, on one hand, they're very earthy terms. We know Adam was being assigned to get his hands dirty in the garden, right? But at the same time, they're deeply spiritual words, meaning that even in that earthly work, it's a way that we can worship God. God and who he is and how he reflects himself through us. Now, every time we approach work, we've got to be careful to avoid the ditches that we can fall into when it comes to the job. On one hand, when it comes to work, we can be people who start to fall into one extreme, and that is we demonize work. Work is this necessary evil that must be endured. But on the other side, we can deify work. Work has almost this godlike status, this idol that's going to somehow fulfill me in all that we do. And every follower of Jesus has to navigate those ditches. How do you know when you're starting to fall into the, one of the ditches? Well, you know you're falling into the ditch of demonizing work when work really for you is this necessary evil to endure. It's simply a means to produce an end, and the end that it's supposed to produce is money and status, and it's supposed to deliver a goal, and at least in the generation that I am part of, the baby boomer generation, the goal was defined as the American dream, and the American dream was simply work enough so that you can live well 
and retire comfortably. And if you really catch the dream, you can retire early. That's the dream. We lived as though work came with a motto. And the motto was, get all you can, can all you get, so that you can sit on your can. And that was the vision of the next 40 years of job. The problem is that's a very unbiblical view of work. It sees work itself as unimportant. It assumes that work cannot do anything for us internally. And yet work is so much more. But on the other hand, how do you know if you've fallen into the other ditch, the ditch of of deifying work? You know you've done that when you're asking work to become too important. So it's not unimportant, it's all important for you. You're asking work to actually deliver more than it's designed to deliver. So my four adult kids are part of the generation two behind me, called the millennial generation. And in general, work, I noticed, has fallen into a, to becoming a means to the end as well. But this end is a little different. The end isn't so much uh, uh, the American dream. Instead, it's this, uh, this personal dream. Uh, the goal is um, personal fulfillment. Or in other words, work is supposed to do what Maslow called in his hierarchy of needs. It's supposed to self-actualize me. I'm supposed to draw some kind of fulfillment that only work can show up and give. See, its job is to get up and go to work on my behalf every day and fulfill my dreams. But the problem is, well, it can be an errant worker. That job sometimes will get up and not cooperate with my dreams. In fact, it frustrates me at times rather than fulfills my dreams. That's because of Genesis chapter 3. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the first hopeful truth for all of us in our jobs, no matter what you do, comes out of Genesis 2, and that is simply that God works through our work. That when we participate with God in this, our work actually becomes an act of worship. And that is true no matter your vocation. That is true whether you're a homemaker or a home builder. That's true whether you're in inventory replenishment or brand management or, or whether you're a housekeeper or a missionary or a pastor or a plumber. Listen, there are no secular jobs for the follower of Jesus. So as Jesus has leadership of your life, don't ask for a secular job. He has none for you. He only has meaningful, sacred work that can worship him through the job because God works through our ordinary work, sometimes in extraordinary ways we can't even see. I remember having coffee with a gentleman in our body who... um, worked as a consultant for companies that were reorganizing. One of his clients was out of Atlanta, and it was a large manufacturing uh, company. And uh, in coaching their um, C-suite leadership team, he was really drawn to one of their staff members because of her deep commitment to follow Jesus Christ on the job. I'll just call her Mary. And my buddy said, I love meeting with Mary because she has such a vision for the kingdom And yet one day I was meeting with her. She knows I'm a follower of Jesus. And she said, things are going brilliantly well. And we're about to open another factory in Mexico. But I find it so unsatisfying. 
because I can't see how it would matter to God at all that we're opening up one more factory in Mexico that's just gonna make widgets. And as he told me that story, I had in my mind's eye another person who lives in Mexico. Let's call her Maria. Maria works hard doing odd jobs to support her family. She's been desperately asking God for something consistent and steady to provide for her kids. She knows this factory is opening and they're holding a job fair where you can come to an interview. She gathers her kids around the dirt floor and asks that they would pray that God would deliver this job to her. She heads to the interview, gets the job, comes home, grabs the kids tight to herself and says, God has provided for us through this job. Isn't that interesting? Mary in Atlanta can't see how God works through her ordinary work. Maria in Mexico, she has no problem seeing. Yeah, God is working through our ordinary work each and every day. The way Dorothy Sayers said it in her essay was, the only Christian work is good work done well. Don't you love that? Hey, the way, students, how would that frame the way you work as a professional student? I don't want to just log time in a class. I want to do good work done well. It debunks so many myths. First of all, it debunks the myth that some work is sacred and some work is secular. Because the way you do what you do is what makes it sacred work. Personally, I am grateful for the job I have. I'm grateful to our elders and to this body allowing me to get to do the work I get to do. I think I have the best job in the world. It is both fulfilling and exhausting at the same time. Wonderfully so in both accounts. But to all the jobs I had that led up to it were so unlike this job. I mean, as a child, I first threw a paper route. As a high school kid, I washed dishes in a restaurant, was a lifeguard, was a busboy, was a pizza cook. In college, I was a waiter, a retail worker, a lumberyard hand, and a house painter. After college, I was an insurance investigator and then a director of marketing. And then I became a pastor. So pop quiz, which of those jobs I just listed in my history is ministry? Now, hopefully, at least by this time in the sermon, you're like, I'm walking away because I'm not falling for that trick question. You're not even taking the pop quiz because you know the answer is all of them. The only secular job I've ever had is the job that I do without the glory of God as my central focus. And that's frightening. Because then I pray, oh, Lord God, protect this church from having a pastor who does his work in a secular way. And you, along with me, pray, oh, Lord God, protect my company, my home, my office, my suppliers, my coworkers, my associates, from having a follower of Jesus who does his or her job in a secular way. Sacred is when we do it for the glory of God and we see the vision of God in the center of that work. And that changes everything. An early mentor of mine, met him at the age of 19. He's become a lifelong friend. Um, 
is a man named Tim Downs. He was a teacher, a writer, an artist vocationally. I actually enjoy his murder mystery novels and the series of those, but the book that won him an award was a book he wrote on everyday evangelism. And on a chapter in that book on work, he talks about what happened when he began to reframe his work to seeing God squarely in the middle of it. Tim says this, the impact of this change in mindset is staggering. I no longer have a job or even that modern day job replacement, a career. I have a mission. My mission is to seek to introduce God into every aspect of my occupation. Notice he didn't just say every aspect or every coworker at my occupation, even the job itself. My calling is to make an impact on my work by fleshing out my Christianity in this profession, at this department, with these coworkers. Instead of seeing leisure as the true source of fulfillment and Sunday as the place for God, my work can become a place for both. My work, no matter how inglorious, is no longer just about money. I have recovered the original meaning of work, the one that comes to us out of the Genesis story that we've been trafficking in. So if that's the good news about work, if this is the kind of hopeful good news of work, about work, I have just a simple question. Why have I never seen a restaurant named TGI Monday? I mean, if it's that good news, you'd think that would sell well, Right? There's another proverb that's tossed around all the time. You see it on social media memes. I've even seen it on bumper stickers. It goes something like this. Choose a job you love, and you will never work a day in your life. True or false? Yeah, false, said by someone who's worked more than five days in their life. Thank you. Yeah, everybody knows realistically You may love your job, and you may feel passionate about it, but you can't get through Wednesday at times without it beating you down a little bit, and sometimes coming home by Thursday and saying, you know, this feels an awful lot like work, and God says, it's because it is. See, the whole story is not just Genesis chapter 2. That's half the story. Work is a part of our worship. But the other half of the story is Genesis chapter 3 that we covered in more detail last week. But one passage we looked at last week specifically talks about our jobs. Verse 17 of chapter 3. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So work is not just created by God. Work is also cursed by God, which means that all work, all work, will be done through painful toil. Even your dream job, God promises, will be done through toil. In fact, he promises that there will be futility 
to your work. In other words, some work just feels meaningless at times. That's the sense of futility. He promises there'll be frustration. This work's just not working. I've never worked so hard to feel like it's just not happening. He promises here in this passage that you will have scarce resources. Ugh, why don't we get the budget that we need to get this assignment done uh, by our department head? Why aren't we going to? No, that is the baked-in promise from the curse. That means that all work now will remind us of sin and separation from God and suffering and that we are foolish when we ask work to fulfill more than it can because God promised that even the best job you have ever had will result in a sore back, a blistered hand, and sweat in your eyes. That's the truth about work. It'll always be under the curse. But yet, Genesis chapter two is still true. It is also worship. Work is worship. Work is also under the curse. That second hard truth is that our work will never fully work for us. And this is actually good news because God will use our cursed work in very redemptive ways. Meaning when you have those days when it's just not working, those will be the times that cause you to lean in more dependently on God. God, I need you to give me what I need to do this job like you would do this job because it's not providing the strokes and the rewards. But it'll also cause you to look forward in hope to the new heavens and the new earth where we will have work in the new kingdom and it will be work that actually works. <laughs> it'll be fulfilling. Can you imagine that? We'll lay our heads down on a pillow, if there are pillows there, in the new kingdom. And we cannot wait to go back to work in the morning because it actually fulfilled us in ways that gave us creative energy. But we're not there yet. So even now, God uses cursed work to make us look to him dependently and look forward in hope for the redemption that is coming. These two truths, that work is worship and that our work will not fully work, well, they keep us out of the ditches. What do we mean by that? Well, seeing work as worship, as Genesis chapter two, keeps us from demonizing work, right? We know now that God is working through our everyday job and we can worship him through the way we work. But seeing that our work will never fully work keeps us from deifying work, keeps us from asking our jobs to play the role of a functional savior. No, we know that our work is never fully going to work. And these twin truths make us wise as followers of Jesus. We're not duped into the, the vision that if we just had a better job, you know, if the grass is just a little greener on the other side of the fence. No, we're wise enough to know that all work is gonna have effects of the curse. But at the same time, we're also hopeful, hopeful enough to know that all work can be used redemptively by God. That's the powerful dual lens that a Christian on the job sees from the garden story. And when you see a worker like that, he or she is compelling. A friend of mine here at Fellowship Bentonville is Marco Reyes. I've always admired for the last 10 years the way he's done 
his work at the Walmart home office. And one day I sat down and interviewed him and asked him, what made that so? What was going on on the inside of him and the way he did his work as a follower of Jesus? Take a look at the screen. I went to John Brown University and I had never been around so many Christians and a lot of people wanted to go be missionaries and do all these things. And I didn't feel that, I didn't feel that. Calling, coming from a Guatemala, you know, a developing country, I saw, you know what? You see our physical need and so you wanna come help, thank you. But I'm here and I see the spiritual need that we get to cover with all these comforts and we get to cover with money and, and distractions and TV and media. But I see it and I see it in the cubicles and I see it in the offices and I see it in the marketplace. And so if everybody goes, who's gonna stay for, for these people? And so I saw my calling very clearly for the business world. I had never been to India at the time, but I thought I wanna have a factory in India and I wanna have a factory in Guatemala and create jobs and through that equip people and help them see themselves as more than people have told them they are. And through that minister to them and through that show them the love of God. Many years later, 10, 12 years later, without my even thinking about it, I found myself in a role that I, I said not to at first, and then I prayed about it, and it was very clear that's where God wanted me, and so I jumped into it. Thankfully, He let me be obedient. And then a few months into that job, I realized I had this dream of two factories where I could help people. And all of a sudden, I had a job where I basically was working in the largest supply chain out there, working in tens of thousands of factories, empowering, taking care of workers in supply chains. And so my dream was two factories. God's dream was, here's tens of thousands of factories where you can go take care of my people. I don't know anybody, including myself, that on a daily basis, weekly basis, doesn't need some encouragement, some exhortation, some uh, uplifting words, uh, some uh, counsel, all of that. And that's ministry, and that's loving others, and that's loving God, and that is worship. And that is worshiping God. If I'm in a meeting, I may be praying for you, even though you may not know it, but the spiritual realm, like I'm praying for you, or I submit the work or the result of this work to the Lord. I don't think I can worship Him only when I'm at church or only when I'm reading my Bible or only when I'm in fellowship with other believers directly. We're called to do that throughout, and work is a big part of that. I see work generally for all of us as our calling to go love God as we do that. Uh, be good stewards as we do it, love others as we do it. As part of encouraging, as part of my ministry, but also, I guess, it ministers to myself, I try to remind others of what we're called to do. Whether it's directly, spiritually speaking, or, or indirectly, I go to my team and talk about, hey, this is why we're doing this. You know that spreadsheet you're doing that's really monotonous or really boring or really straight? Let's look up and let's look at the bigger picture. This is what we're doing. It's this is what we get to do with this time. And often what I'll say is, you know what? Let's say we have one more year in this world. What do you want to look back and, and, and say, we did this and we were good stewards of the world that we had, you know? And you can take that, you know, as a calling to the kingdom work or, or, or just period as an associate in your, in your place of work. How do we point towards stewardship and, and what do we want to do with the time that we have to, to work labor? When we're at work, that's ministry and that's worship 
and, and, and how we talk to others and how we do our work with excellence as is unto the Lord and things, things like that. I think that, that's how I see God inviting me to join him in his work and me hopefully when I'm walking with him, responding. Loving God, loving others, and stewarding work well. I think it's a really, really compelling vision for Marco and what it looks like to see God evident and present in all that we do. Uh, I have a group that I would like to honor this morning. If you're a senior in high school at FSM, can you please join us on the stage? Um, we actually come stand maybe on the steps so we don't overwhelm the whole stage. Yeah, but yeah. Um, talk, about, talk about a group of, of kids and leaders. Y'all are welcome as well, senior leaders. Talk about a group of kids who have taken the last six years of their time in FSM to, to really understand that idea of loving God, loving others, and stewarding their time well. Let me, let me just brag on them for a moment before we pray over them and see them released into the world to go be either professional students or join the workforce mm-hmm. um, as work. But this, this group of kids, um, I don't want to see them leave our ministry. I told them that a couple weeks ago when we were having our senior banquet dinner. I'm gonna miss them like crazy. And not just because I enjoy them and because we're friends and because I like them, but because I've watched them cast vision for a ministry that has set the tone for the last year as the, the first year at Fellowship Bentonville being the seniors to our student ministry. They've brought more people into their cell groups, into church services, a- along with them as they go about doing their daily life stuff. And I- I'm watching the ripple effect happen all throughout Bentonville Public Schools, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, getting to follow their leadership on spring break trips or on retreats or even just watching them love their city well has actually helped fuel some of my vision for work and what I get to do paid vocationally as a student pastor. And so I really love this group of seniors. I, I really, really do. Um, and I'm really thankful for you guys. Y'all are just the best. And so can we pray over you as we um, release you into the world to be either professional students or professionals in the other capacity? Yeah, so like Kyle said, we view these guys and girls as not the church of the future, but the church now. So as we send them on mission, we just wanna pray over them and bless them. And so if you would, and if you're comfortable to stretch out a hand or just uh, position yourself in a posture of prayer, and we'd love to just cover these guys and gals in prayer. So Father, we thank you so much for this group. God, we just pray that you would continue to keep them and protect them, show favor upon them as they go out in all the various places that you have for them. Lord, you have led them and guided them up until this point, and we are confident that you will continue to do so. So whether they are hitting the workforce or going to college, God, I just imagine all the people that they're about to encounter. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with them guiding them, strengthening them, transforming them um, so that they may be able to share Jesus with all of those that they meet. God, we pray that they would continue to just abide in you, that they would be fruitful and faithful branches of your vine. God, we're so thankful to have known them in this space. Um, And we just pray that your blessing and your favor over them as they go out into new spaces. And would they 
be surrounded by community and the church because they can't do it alone. And God, would you bring people to support them and remind them of your love. Lord, we thank you for them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, if you desire prayer for yourself, we've got Chris and Jeff over here by the baptismal who would love to pray for you this morning. Uh, Also, if this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you over to the FSM room. You can follow any of these on the stage over to the FSM room. They know where it is. Uh, For our newcomers gathering, we'd like to welcome you and and show you how to be connected to what we do around here at Fellowship Bentonville. We love you. God bless you. God bless your work this week. We will see you next Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Mm -hmm.